1973, a group of indigenous artists formed a collective. The press called them the Indian Group of Seven. Their goal? To raise the profile of indigenous art. It was all or nothing. We're representing all our people. And create a permanent space in galleries for indigenous artists in Canada and around the world. That was really a rock star moment for me. I'm Soleil Lunier, and this is Among Equals, the history and legacy of the professional native Indian artists, Inc. Listen wherever podcasts are heard. Art Slice is a different dive into art history. We goof around, we curse, you learn from it, but don't expect a typical lecture. You're welcome. Hey listeners, Stephanie here. Today's episode was supposed to come out last week in time for the holidays, but you know, life happens, booster shots happen. However, the Creature Double Feature is here now, just in time for New Year's Eve. So hopefully you're all still in the holiday, I mean, spooky spirit. I know I am. Buen provecho. Stereo. Lock the doors. Lock the windows. Hide under the covers. Don't look behind you. Because Art's life is double features about to begin. Remember, Welcome to Art Sliced, a deadly serving of art history. I'm Spookephanie Duenas. I'm the, uh, the 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 Russell Cryptmaker, the the human fly, <laughs> the the teenage Wait. werewolf, the That's... creature from the Art Lagoon. And listeners, Spook Spookany and I, I, I have a very special holiday episode. Let me just check the calendar real quick. Oh, God. Oh, no, we missed the holiday, Stephanie. As is our tradition, we've decked the Arts Life Museum halls with boughs of bloody holly. Some spiderweb briefs. Sure, we have spiderweb briefs. Sure, say that again. I'm sorry. Some uh, spiderweb briefs. We have the pantrymons dressed up as ghosts. With Santa hats. With little Santa hats. That's right. It's pretty cute. All for our special guest, who we were expecting to be here by now. Spookephany, while while I try to get a hold of our friend the Demon Reindeer, which is why we're throwing this whole shindig, why don't you let the listeners know what unsettling works we'll be discussing today in this creepy, extra spooky, xx miss double feature. It's two X's because Uh, it's the double feature. It's not 20. We're not featuring 20. Today, we will again be lifting the Satan, not Santa, spirits... By discussing not one, but two ghoulish works of art from two different continents separated by a century, but sharing eerie similarities like gory stories of death. And listeners, if you dare to, you can find all the images we are going to discuss on our website, our haunted website, artslicepod.com, or some of the images on the Demongram. That's just Instagram. That's not even for the holiday. That's just how Instagram is. At artslicepod. The first work we will be discussing today is one of Hokusai's ghost story prints titled House of Broken Plates from 1831 to 1832, woodblock print on paper. And listeners, if you remember all the way back to our Van Gogh slash Hiroshige episode, we discussed ukiyo-e prints through the eyes of Van Gogh and the Western artists that collected and admired their work. But we didn't dig too deeply into how ukiyo-e prints became a unique product of the social climate in the 17th to 19th century Japan. After years of civil unrest, the Japanese government changed their approach, consolidated power, and created a social order that spurred prosperity and peace for several hundred years. The government decided no more small warring factions throughout the country. <laughs> let's centralize. Let's develop large, dense, conveniently located urban cities like modern day Tokyo, known as Edo at this time. Large urban centers would necessitate modern buildings, commerce, jobs, and leisure, allowing citizens to live more harmonious lives. Spending that yen. Spending that yen. Yeah, letting the, letting the yen flow. Open it up, let the yen flow. <laughs> 
even the lowest of the low class, the merchant class, were suddenly seeing a significant boost in income from all of the needs of these new Edo citizens. And you might be saying, now the thing to do would be for those merchants with all of the sudden income to save that money and then move up the class ladder, right? Wrong. No. Correct. Right. I mean, wrong. No. No. (laughs) They were basically forbidden to move up the class ladder. (laughs) Yeah. They. I mean, they were forbidden. But at least, hey, at least they were blunt about it. Stuff they didn't hide. They didn't hide behind like a complicated web of (laughs) tax havens and and American dreams. You know what I mean? (laughs) So, what are you gonna do when things are essentially fine, but you can't move up that ladder? You're gonna fucking live your life. You're gonna live your life. Correct. You don't have anything else to do or think about except to just enjoy life. The government was like, yeah, let's allow them to have some fun. Let them mingle with each other, you know, the other classes. Yeah, yeah. We don't want these folks revolting. So maybe the merchants can hang out with the samurais. <laughs> this is like kindergarten for like yeah, adults. Yeah, put them in a little room, <laughs> give them a little tea set and some like uh, some paints. Some nap time. <laughs> we'll give you a snack if you take a nap. Yes. Oh, that sounds great. All of a sudden, these pleasure districts start to appear. Mm. Okay, so you had your kabuki theater, music, your art studios, you had poetry readings and tea ceremonies. And then when you get all hopped up on the tea and poetry stuff <laughs> that you invested in. Yeah, that's right. You, yeah, <laughs> you, you invested in it. Well, no, you didn't actually because you can't. You go to the bars, <laughs> you go to the casinos, and of course, you go to the brothels. Right. And they were a huge success. People loved going there. Japanese citizens would even travel from far away to see all of this new excitement playing out behind a backdrop of beautiful new buildings, changing seasons. Lots of sake. So much sake. So much sake. Buddhists at this time used, honestly, honestly, kind of a judgy term called (laughs) ukiyo, meaning uh, the sorrowful world. Hmm. So, you know, this endless cycle of life, suffering, death, rebirth, that a practicing Buddhist should seek to break. You can't be distracted by all of those worldly pleasures. Right. So these pleasure districts also started to be referred to as ukiyo or the sorrowful world. And those who embraced the ukiyo districts gave that term a new context, Mm, right? Taking it back. So it became the floating world for, for its fleeting beauty. So these ukiyo district kabuki actors, sex workers, beautiful scenery, it all quickly became the subject matter for prince, the merchants, the tourists. They wanted a pretty picture of Ukiyo to take home with them as souvenirs of the good times, right. you know? Yeah. Kind of like the Instagram of the day. <laughs> okay. This genre of printmaking became known as Ukiyo-e or floating world pictures. Sounds so nice. It does. Not judgy at all. Ukiyo-e in practice were mass-produced, vibrant woodblock prints that were cheaper than a bowl of mama noodles. Uh, <laughs> they were not considered art by the gatekeepers of Japanese society, right? No surprises there. And because there was such a high demand for these prints, many, many ukiyo-e printmasters became popular. But one of the most famous, of course, is Katsushika Hokusai, most famous for the wave off Kanagawa, a.k.a. The Great Wave. The Great One. And listeners, (laughs) we are not going to spend too much time discussing Hokusai's life because honestly, he had a pretty nice one. Definitely. And just like Hiroshige and other printmasters, Hokusai would train in the Chinese style of painting. So an episode eight refresher. Right. The West valued symmetrical, stunning, realistic, almost verging on hyper-realistic detail. Filling up that canvas with detail and color. Right, right, right. It was very much an, it's like an art muscle flex, right? (laughs) Like, look at how well that I rendered this. (laughs) Look at my muscly brush dude, my, my thick bristles, you know? He's like dipping his paintbrushes in, in whey protein every night, you know? Uh, letting Scooping him soak. it around, yeah, letting it soak in there. <laughs> so think of a big budget movie like any Marvel Universe movie, sorry. Monstrosity. Yeah, monstrosity, thank you. <laughs> so CGI everywhere, everywhere, right? As Captain Free Market fights super communist baby, who, who's a Dracula in this <laughs> case, because this is, this is our spooky right, episode, right? Right, right? And you beat the audience over the head with special effects, colors, details, etc. In Chinese-style painting, not so much. Their flex was resistance, balance, harmony, sparseness, asymmetry. Okay. Instead of filling every, like just stuffing every nook and cranny (laughs) of the composition full of color and and paint strokes. Stuff. Full of stuff. They embraced negative space, which left more room for interpretation. It gave the composition a flow, a rhythm. What was that? I don't know. That's weird. But you get the idea. The Japanese printmasters learned from this, but they put their own spin on it. They were confined to a print that was basically the size of a large piece of paper. They condensed the space while keeping aspects of that compositional rhythm, uh, while, while also introducing bolder, more expressive colors. Hokusai was also unique. 
He also benefited from some of the few Western prints allowed in Japan. Japan had seen what the Portuguese and Spanish traders had done to Asian yeah, the countries. RC, the RC squared. Oh. They're back again, baby. RC squared. I mean, did they ever really leave? <laughs> the Japanese were like, no, we, we, we've seen what you've done to Macau and we, we, don't, we don't want that. No, thank you. No, yeah. gracias. Uh, they, they right. call, it's a merger. We, we've, uh, <laughs> here at the RC squared, we're, we're humaning our outreach by what? diversifying to the, the South humaning? Chinese shores. Check that? our live feed on our meta stream. Hashtag wavy pavy. Oh, God. <laughs> Wait, what? Don't worry about it. Um, but Japan was like, mm, no, thank you, RC Squared. Yeah. We won't be trading with any of you with one exception. I, I don't know if it's an option. The Dutch. Well, well, that's because the Dutch would fuck up the Portuguese and Spanish oh, trading really? ships. So the Japanese were like, hey, you redhead wood shoes, you're all right <laughs> with me. And I can say redhead wood shoes because I am one. Okay. So because of all of this, Hokusai's work... <laughs> started to take on portions of Western perspective. And if you compare his best-known series of work, 36 Views Off of Mount Fuji, to someone like Hiroshige, you'll see that Hokusai's work is far less dramatic. Mm, it has a yeah. much calmer composition. Honestly, they're kind of dry compared to Hiroshige's works. A little bit. Like, but you know what's not dry, Russell? What? Blood. Oh, God. Unless... It, it's, if it's dry, it's dry. Stuff. Right, yeah. Correct, like, yeah. Blood does dry. Around the time he was working on his designs for the 36 Views, his publisher, trying to keep up with the public demand for the strange, the weird, and the scary, convinced Hokusai to make a book of ukiyo-e prints called 100 Stories of Ghosts. 100 Ghost Stories. That's a lot of ghosts. It's a lot of ghosts. Why would you... Why would you want this, you're wondering, listener? I am wondering, yes. Well, there was this game. There was this game. Okay. Called... Yeah. I have it pulled up in Google Translate. Okay, no, please go ahead. Oh, what, me? I don't yeah, know how to say no, it. say it. I don't know how to say Try it. Try it. it. Give it your best shot. No, I'm going to Google Translate. I'm going to Google Translate. This is really hard. Do you want to hear it? Do you want to hear it? I want to hear your take on it. The Stephanie take. Oh, that's a slow version. <laughs> A.K.A. Gathering of 100 Supernatural Tales. Ooh. I don't like what this I was is like, going. Did you say you like this? Because I'm like, I don't so, get ready. So people would gather at nightfall. Nope. And they would light 100 paper lanterns. Mm. And they would have one small mirror propped nope. up. Nope. When the night was its darkest, they would each take turns telling folk tales of ghouls, Mm-mm. demons, spirits. At the end of each story, the storyteller would get up, extinguish the lantern, take a look in the mirror, no, no. make sure they didn't turn into a demon or nope. something, make nope. sure everything's all nope. good, and then they'd walk back to the group. With each story told, the room got darker and darker, creating the perfect environment for a spirit to be summoned. But what if they were a demon, though? Do they still walk back to the group? <laughs> you mean, like, what if they turned into one? Like, this is awkward. Will anybody notice? <laughs> I don't know. That's a great question. No, go on, please. <laughs> okay. All right. S- saying that didn't happen. They're, like, trying what? to get their, their voice back. <laughs> or they're trying to hide in the corner, like, where it's actually kind of dark. They're like, like hey, it's your uh, turn. Uh, <laughs> No, it was already their turn because that's why they looked. But in the yeah, mirror. but it goes around. I mean, how many people are there? That's There's not a hundred people there. Oh, that's true. Someone's getting left out. Shoot! Like I prepared my ghost story and it was number one hundred. <laughs> yeah, I don't. And know. I'm not going to read it now. Say okay, so let's pretend that that didn't happen. Okay. <laughs> By the time they would get to 97, 98, mm. 99, everyone would be freaked out and want to stop because they thought that they might actually summon something. Yeah. Not that one of them would have turned into a demon, but like. They actually summoned a ghost. Sure. Double trouble. Right. Ghosts are very <laughs> patient. That's what you don't know about ghosts. Oh, I don't know. Like, oh, it's 99? Okay. Wait, 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 wait. <laughs> Got one more, okay? Oh, oh, oh. Very patient. Oh, okay. I mean, they've been dead for a while, right? What I else have are they all doing? the time. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Hokusai never finished the series, and nobody really <laughs> knows why. He was very superstitious, so maybe he didn't want, you know, like, ghosts checking out their portraits. <laughs> Peeking around his shoulder. You got, you got my, my face tusks wrong. I can't do a, go, a ghost impression, you know, what? with the, tu- with the tusks. Oh, with tusks? Yeah. I don't know what you'd sound like if you had tusks. Yeah, well, you know, it would get in the way of the cheeks. Like something like this? Probably, like, yeah. It's like pulling, I'm pulling my cheeks apart. Yeah, that's, don't do that's, that. That's, that's, that's weird. That hurt. You just drooled <laughs> on your shirt. I did? On my new art On your slice beautiful shirt? Art Slice Museum t-shirt. Not an that ad. That we're both wearing, like Not the an... worst band in the universe that wears their own t-shirt. <laughs> no shame. No shame. Find it on our They're website, artslicebot.com. Yeah. Okay, anyway, <laughs> today we only have five print designs from the series. He was also working on 36 views of Mount Fuji at the same time, so mm. <laughs> maybe he just knew that Do the pretty, pretty landscapes yeah. were going to sell better. Kid-friendly. Kid-friendly. Okay. Yeah, for real. You can see the same rhythms that show up in his clouds and waves in these creatures. Did you hear that? 
But the compositions are entirely different. Mm. They are set in portrait. They are close-ups to close-up. Okay. <laughs> I can't wait. They're almost headshots of these horrifying creatures. Okay. All right? Okay. All right, so, let's see them. Let's see them. Let's talk about them. Creature number one. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, no. Okay. 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 <laughs> uh, first up. We have we have this weird owl looking demon creature. Okay, oh, no. he looks like weird owl, Hawaiian no. shirt and all, with a big gummy grin. He has tusks, lots of wrinkles, but he's looking he's looking like a proud father. Okay, he's pointing to a baseball that he's got in his hand, but it's not a baseball; it's a baby's head, and it, it seems to have been ripped off. And he's pointing at it. He's like, "Look what I did! Look what I ripped off!" Yes, you are correct. This is a demon that lives in the mountains, feasting on kidnapped children. Okay, all right, next. Creature number two. Okay. All right. All right. So now we have a smoldering, torn paper lantern, mm-hmm. w- which is also a face Horrifying. with very stringy, very oily hair, some very red eyes that uh, might explain where the, that smoldering smoke is coming from. Okay. Right. Some ghost haze, you know, some <laughs> some some berry bones because it's weed. I don't know if you caught that. Oh, I thought the smoke was like burning that eyes. No, smoking marijuana. <laughs> I would be too if my head was a lantern. Okay. Um, yeah, maybe that's how you treat it, right? There wasn't much that was catching my eye in the last image. Th- this actually has a it has a really mm. beautiful gradation in the background. The oily hair is carved in this very beautiful way. Mm-hmm. The smoke coming from the lantern lets your eye bounce around the composition. So typical ghost stories in Japan, right? Kind of goes back to Shintoism. Yes, spirits in everything. So this is Oiva, who was disfigured with poison face cream. I, I mean, most face cream is like radiator food and snail <laughs> organs. Uh, well, I mean, you're one to talk to Mr. Keels, but... Okay, we don't right. need to mention that. Long story, she haunts her former husband, hmm. who was trying to get her out of the picture so that he could date some younger gal. Creature number three. Okay. <laughs> I've seen, I think I've seen this one before, actually. Okay. Um, this is... I don't know if I would laugh or cry if I saw this. <laughs> yeah. But I mean it's a good print. It's a beautiful print. It's probably the best of the of yeah. the bunch so far. Mm-hmm. It's a ske- it's a skeleton with some vi- I don't know where those vines are coming from. There's some vines in the background. They don't yeah, they don't I seem I don't see them anywhere else. But the vines they're kind of tentacly uh Hokusai, big fan of tentacles, wrapping around his head kind of, <laughs> right? And he has a bit of hair in the a little, and, bit, a little yeah, patch. Yeah, a little patch of hair in the back of his head standing on end, okay? <laughs> and I'm sorry, I'm gendering this the skeleton. Okay. And then they're pulling down a screen which is probably I'm going to guess mosquito net right mm. which is even scarier yes letting in the mosquitoes letting in the malaria yeah and they are looking up <laughs> in um what is possibly the most pervy look <laughs> ever <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> just pervy all right yeah but gorgeous layering i mean i love <gasps> the choice green. of color yeah i know right so good. i hope hokusai took out his colorists for sake after this one right R- round on hokusai hell yeah hell yeah <laughs> <laughs> This is the ghost of a man who was murdered by his wife okay. and her lover. And now he just kind of watches them. Okay. <laughs> yeah. There's a word for that. Uh, but breakups can be messy. But also, hey, the, skele- the skeleton is enjoying it. It's, he's yeah. enjoying it, stuff. Yeah, like, he, he, he has fun. worked on his creep face in the mirror for a while, right? I don't know. Yeah. In the mirror of the hotel, he's like, like this? I mean, it's like, like this? Like this? It's one thing like to just this? like see a skeleton, but then like that face, <laughs> that face just is like another level. It's on another level. So these are all folklore, like we mentioned, but they were also made into creepy, spine tingling kabuki plays. Okay. Creature number four. Without further ado, let's get into the story of the House of Broken Plates. I know you're just dying of suspense. Oh my god. The earliest folktale dates all the way back to the early 1500s, where we find Okiku, this beautiful servant girl, and a well. Okay. So you so- can already tell that this ends well. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> this just came out. <laughs> Okiku worked at the Himeji Castle, and Mr. Samurai, who protected the lord of the Himeji Castle, was like, Okiku, you are looking good. <laughs> Okay, so right. he had a hankering for her since day one. A hankering. She was like, 
no, thank thank you. I'm I'm just here to do my job. Okay. Thanks. Yeah. So he just kept insisting, okay, Mr. Samurai, like, can't get a hint. Mm. And she still said no. Eventually, though, Mr. Samurai got so fed up with her rejection that he devised a plan to get his way. So this is a 90s rom-com. Kiko is doing her job, putting away a stack of gorgeous heirloom plates, mm. very expensive. Yeah. And she's counting them to make sure that all ten are there. Yeah, every castle gotta have ten plates, Steph. Ten beautiful, That's the gorgeous rule. plates. If the plates weren't all there and in pristine condition, then that means she could be punished by death. Okay. There's no you break, you buy. It's you break, you die. <laughs> you like that? I do, yeah. You're welcome. All right. So she counts. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. She gasps. Where's the, where's the tenth one? She counts again. Oh, God. Gotta make sure. Yeah. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. She screams a scream, one that you would feel in your spine and it would raise the hair on your arms. Okay. She's like, oh no, how could this be? They must all be here. They have to be. She counts a third time. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. She is beside herself. How mm. could she have lost the 10th plate? Right. Okiku eventually decides to take responsibility for it, fully knowing that she could be killed for this. Okay. There is no other possible explanation. It's not like anyone would do this on purpose to, you know, manipulate her she's in at, any way. Yeah. You know, she's at home with one of the plates. She took one of the plates home with her. You know, she's trying to make another one. But she lives there. So she's in her room oh. and she's trying to make another, <laughs> you know, she's got like all the ink out. Okay. And she, she gets a, she gets a blank plate and she's <laughs> oh, like no, trying to like side by side all night trying to uh, reproduce the, the beautiful pattern on it. <laughs> It's kind of, it's smudged. Okay, so she's just making a big mess. Did you, did okay, did you ever, oh, did no. you ever make a fake ID when you were younger with your art no. skills? Don't do those kids. Did you? I don't, maybe. It doesn't All right. work, yeah. Okay. Didn't, didn't work out for Okiku. Okiku is doomed. She goes to Mr. Samurai and he's like, geez, you know what this means? It means I'm going to have to kill you. And she's, she's crying at his feet. Oh, God. She's just losing it. But then he's like, Actually, I, I'll cover for you, baby. You know, he said that just out of like the kindness of his heart. Yeah. No, ain't eh, wrong. He's like, <laughs> you gotta become my mistress. Okay. Okiku, staying true to herself, said no again, but for the last time. Okay. Furious that she rejected him again, right. he ties her up and he throws her into a well where Okiku plunges to her death. He hears a splash and Mr. Samurai thinks, hmm, well, Glad that's done. She should have just slept with me. I mean, who wouldn't want to sleep with this, right? Yeah. Clearly. Look at my so- look at my look at how big my sword is. How sharp it is. <laughs> look at this bun. Yeah. She's a crazy one. Anyway, so he goes on about his shitty life. His shitty life. All yeah. Right. So glass door review. Three stars. Cons. <laughs> harassed every day. Every day. Probably going to be killed for losing a plate. Pros. Beautiful castle. Nice view. Free K cups. It's a it's a three star review. Okay. Oh, only because it's stars. a job. It's a job. The next night, Mr. Samurai hears some noise in the, the kitchen. The HR responds, you know. Do they respond? <laughs> they do. Oh, my God. Uh, we value your feedback. <laughs> and should you be reincarnated, we'll keep your resume oh on God. file and we'll share it with our hiring team. So, sorry about, oh, you about your death. Lies. Sorry about your death. I'm sure you are. Sorry, I'm getting triggered. The next night, Samurai hears some noise in the kitchen, which is strange because he still hadn't posted a hiring ad. <laughs> then he realizes he hears counting. Okay, okay. This happens night after night after night, and Okiku continues to haunt him until he goes mad. There are many very- And it wasn't just the the rotting corpse in the water that they were drinking? That made him go mad? (laughs) (laughs) Okay. There are many variations on the ending of the story, but basically, after Mr. Samurai is driven to madness, it's revealed- that he was hiding the 10th plate. Of course. Did not see course. that coming. This was a popular tale, and so many ukiyo-e printmasters have depicted Okiku's gruesome death in their own way. Mm. Sometimes she looks human, almost saintly, but transparent and ethereal. Other times she is still tied up, and she is rising from the well to haunt Mr. Samurai, like the girl from the ring. Okay. Samara. Yeah. I remembered her name. Yeah, let's not talk about All it right. anymore. I don't want to I want to sleep tonight. Hulk-sized version, however, is one of the most unique. All right, let's describe what we're looking at. Okay, so first of all, there's there's no samurai in sight, which, like you said, it's already a departure from the previous depictions of her. Mm-hmm. 
It's night. There's this fuzzy, vaguely green darkness radiating from the earth mm-hmm. to this this deep blue, kind of Prussian blue sky. I love it's that really wood grain. Yeah, yeah. So good. Oh, yeah, the wood grain. I love the wood grain. It keeps the background vague enough to allow you to feel like you are on a mountaintop overlooking the forested hills. Mm, beautiful. But it also makes the well kind of stand out. Right. The well almost looks like a thin, hollow tree trunk in the foreground mm. with some leaves growing around it, soaking up that moisture. Because you know it's damp yeah. and scary. Anyway, but <laughs> Okiku is the star here. Yes. She's not your typical drapey sheet ghost, or at least what we <laughs> would imagine ghosts to be here in the West. No, sheets not. <laughs> okay, I see what you did there. See that? Yeah. I love it. Yeah. That's a great yeah. That's a great joke. All right. Her ghost form, though, is very unusual. Mm. Her head, <laughs> her, well, her face is is pale. Yeah, her head face. Her head face is pale. Um, her long black hair is falling down her serpentine worm-like body. She's, she's got a worm bod. I mean, it's shaped like one. It's yeah. not really like a worm bod. Which, it's a worm bod. No, it's not. Anyway, her hair looks like it was painted with a comb brush, but it's actually etched. So Ukiku doesn't mind her her new worm bod, folks. Okay, <laughs> she is chilling. She's puffing out some smoke, right? You know, right. she's she's taking a smoke yeah, break between yeah, yeah. her haunting duties. There you you know, she gets 15 minutes, all right? Glass door. <laughs> Four stars, rather be dead. Four stars. <gasps> and it's here where Hokusai's nice. illustration skills are really shining. Okay. Because Ukiku's long dark hair is spiraling down the spine of her worm bod <laughs> back into the well. It's veiling the multiple ornate heirloom plates that make up her worm bod. Definitely, you didn't see that coming, right? Definitely not what I think of when I think of a ghost. Uh, it's it's kind of comical, but if I did see this in real life, though, I would scream my ass off for sure. I don't think I'd be scared of her. She seems pretty cool. She seems like she's about to like clock out. <laughs> we'll go get some like you know, get a drink afterwards. Yeah, I would definitely hang out with Ukiko and her worm bod. For totally. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> Except for all the clacking, you know, the place. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. I could get used to it. Deal. Okay, we'll, we'll hang out with Ukiku at a bar. Deal, deal. Love it. How cool are we going to be? Does she have um, to wear a mask? No, she's a ghost. I know. That's a bad joke. <laughs> Sorry. Stephanie, we're here. Mm. We're in the Art Slice dungeon. We have the best possible print of the House of Plates pinned to the laboratory walls. Okay. Wired to a pretty serious generator that oh. feeds off of art. Don't question it. Okay. 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 And there, there's this, there, Stephanie, there's this particularly menacing looking Pontrimon just kind of shuffling around in the lab back there. That's okay. New. That's Their new. good eye is staring at the switch because okay. that generator, it powers the inflatable Santa. What? I'm, I'm sorry, a Satan what? village that the Pantrimons have installed on the Art Slice Museum <laughs> lawns. So we we need to decide quickly <laughs> okay. before this particularly menacing-looking Pontrimon takes a run at that switch, okay? okay? okay. If we're going to save this print for the Art Slice Museum or if we're going to watch it incinerate as the Santa, I, I mean Satan, <laughs> rises to the cheers of the Pantrimons above. So, Ukiku is a great example of Onryo. Oh, my God. Onryo. Onryo? I don't know. I'm sorry, buddy. <laughs> um, which are ghosts who won't let their wrongdoers rest until they've given them a proper comeuppance. Yes, yeah, so some comeuppance. You get the muffins you deserve. <laughs> I, I can't. I think, I think I'm really distracted by that particularly menacing-looking Pantrymon. I don't trust that particularly menacing-looking Pantrymon at all. I've never seen that one before. <laughs> So there aren't many Hokusai prints I would pick for the Art Slice Museum. I mean, okay. he gets a lot of attention because of the wave off of Kanagawa. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's such an iconic image. And it's great, right? And he has so much work out there. He was so prolific. <laughs> yeah. So prolific. He was so prolific. And that works against him a little bit because I've just seen yeah. so much that feels half-baked, maybe a little too sparse mm-hmm. or a little bit too tame. Yeah. He doesn't play with composition in a way that's very interesting to me. However, I think this series is a great example of his strengths as an artist. Ukiko here plays to his sparseness the best. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He shows just enough to ground you in the story, choosing his details very carefully, like those plates, right? Right. But it also leaves it open enough to allow your interpretation of what's going on. So I guess, I I don't know, I wish you'd finish this series, right? Yeah, right. Me too. I think it shows you that he would have been an excellent graphic novelist or like a visual storyteller, right? Okay, so is this a yes or a no for you? Yeah, surprisingly, surprisingly. Really? Yeah. Yeah, maybe he was just more observant and less 
imaginative when it came to pushing <laughs> boundaries, maybe. Maybe, yeah. He may have just been more interested in craft more than anything else. Like, I don't know if that's too harsh. Well, and I'm also not a printmaker. Okay, I should just say that. But I am an artist and I think that to do your best, you have to combine both imagination and creativity, right? All of that might just be me speaking from a modern perspective, but also like, no, they were capable of doing both. Just look at Hiroshige. Or Any- Kuniyoshi too, yeah. Right, exactly. I do think less is more for him in this series, especially with Ukiku. This work was weird enough to stop me in my tracks, but I will be the first to admit that I have not studied Ukiyo extensively. (laughs) But that being said, out of what I did see, this one definitely stuck out to me in the sea of scary Ukiyo. There's so many of them. (laughs) Scary in all kinds of ways. Yeah, they're very different. Steph, this punch, this punch, I don't trust this particularly menacing looking punch. Is it going in the Arslice Museum? So yes, it's going in the Arslice Museum. Okay, I'm going to grab it. (laughs) Okay. The more I look at it, the more I really appreciate it, because in the other versions of her story, she's often sharing the space with someone else, with the exception of the well, because that's her haunted well now. (laughs) Um, But he gives her a different interpretation and the spotlight. He also makes her seem more benevolent. After she's done haunting Mr. Samurai, we could go out for a drink and play some pinball. Play some pinball, yeah. I don't know know how she would do that. (laughs) Maybe I would play for her. We'd be a team. I don't know. I don't know. But anyway, you hit the nail on the head with him. He was very prolific. So I think that might be why some of his work feels half-baked to you. Maybe he was spreading himself too thin, which I kind of think he was. I mean, he produced over 30,000 works in his entire lifetime. He wouldn't clean his house because he was too busy making artwork. Is this a fact? Yeah, he would just move. Ah, uh, are you serious? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I'll leave this shit bowl, this shit hole behind. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God, that's hilarious. Back to his prolificacy, he put out so much work. Like he was actually widely collected and influential right. to artists that we've covered, like Seichi Hayashi, like Van Gogh. He would also be influential to Art Nouveau, which included artists like Gustav Klimt, Aubrey Beardsley, and the artist we are going to talk about next. Okay. This is just kind of a disaster. Yeah, out of context, this does not make much sense at all. Oh, listeners, hope you enjoyed our first ghoulish tale of death and art. Uh, Steph, uh, Spookephany. Yes, thank you. While we wait for our special (laughs) guest to arrive. Nothing. Where are they? Okay. Uh, While we wait, the the pantry monsters have started to build a little set for what I assume is a creepy holiday play. But they are nowhere. I don't know what it is. Close to being done. What is the the empty can for? I I don't know. (laughs) You know, maybe they need to get the old blood That is not a good idea. That is not a good idea. Maybe they just need to get into the spirit. No, No, I know where you're going with this. And if anything, it's not. No. Maybe they need to get into the rhythm. Rhythm. Let's go to the Art Slice Pantry. Let's go. It's a haunted pantry. We'll see. Vamanos. Rhythm is one of the main compositional elements referring to the movement within an artwork. Like in music, rhythm can vary and it can come in many different varieties. Think chamber music versus like psychobilly. There can be moments of repetition, but also the music can shift and the rhythm can change. And this is what distinguishes rhythm from pattern. Speed and gesture through repetition of marks and forms, colors and shapes, move the viewer through the composition. There are many different types of rhythms in art, but here are a few that are common. Regular rhythms are when different forms or marks repeat over and over throughout the composition. Flowing rhythms are repeating but also irregular, like the waves on a shore changing throughout the day. So think of Hokusai's House of Plates. There are vertical cracks of varying lengths on the wooden well that lead our eyes around its circular shape. Then there's progressive rhythm, where elements change slightly every time it repeats. A good example of this is Marcel Duchamp's New Descending a Staircase, where the figure evolves and de-evolves with each step. And finally, there's random rhythms, where similar forms and shapes do repeat, but they don't seem to really have a logic or any regularity. A good example might be the forms that Hilma off Clint used throughout her 10 largest series. So if you're making artwork, don't be too concerned with what kind of rhythms you're making. A rhythm can happen intentionally, it can happen intuitively, or it might just happen by chance. Well, Spookephany, our little ghost Ponchimon tummies have been satiated, haven't they? Yes, they have. Well, now we just have a pantry full of adorable sleeping ghosts. And now there's no creepy holiday party. Yeah, no creepy holiday party. Well, luckily, listeners, we have another 
extra spooky, scary work of art to talk about. Next up in our double feature, listeners, we're actually going to start with another play by Gabriele D'Annunzio. Uh, D'Annunzio, huge, uh, huge fascistio, <laughs> who yes. uh, directly yes. inspired Maria Marchines yeah. uh, from the last episode, listeners. Cabana Boy Mussolini. There is a horror story in and of itself. What, Mussolini dressed as a Cabana Boy? No, Turn not. Well, get into the mood? Anyway, um, let's get into La Pisanelle and discover her demise. Side note, listeners, some details for La Pisanelle's story were hard to wrangle, so we filled them in with a little art slice flair. Pisanelle's story begins in 16th century Pisa, Italy. Yes, that Pisa, the one with the leaning tower. Mm. Pisanella was beautiful. Once again, I'm sure you know where this is going. Life was difficult for her, so difficult, and she did what many women had to do, and she took up courtesaning. Courtesaning. The only fan's account of the 18th century. <laughs> yeah. Then, one day, she somehow finds herself on the shores of the island of Cyprus. Okay. 3,000 miles away from Pisa. Okay, you find yourself there, sure. Right. Cyprus has been stricken with famine, and so you see this breathtaking, beautiful woman on the beach, and of course, you're like, clearly, this is a saint here to save us. Of course. Word gets around to the most eligible bachelor on the island, mm. El Kingo. El Kingo, all right. King, and he sends for her to be brought to his castle at once. As soon as their eyes meet, Pisanella and the king fall madly in love. Head over heels, the king takes her to the castle court where Pisanella shows off her skills, dancing sensuously and voluptuously, okay. captivating everyone. That is, except for the queen, the okay. king's mother, not his wife. He is very single. Okay, so. Weird. Feeling jealous. Is there's a complex? It's weird, right? Yeah. Feeling jealous and threatened, the queen pulls the king to the side and it's like, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> what are you doing? Who is this sea trash? Where does she come from? She washed up from the shore. What is even her name? You say Pisanella. Say Pisanella. Pisanella. I don't believe that. Who has okay. his name is Pisanella? Nobody. No one. All the, right. So the king's like, oh, she's like beautiful and I love her. She's going to be queen one day, mom. So like step off. Don't go in my room in the basement. <laughs> I'm going to imagine the, the, the queen did not, uh, didn't step off. She, she did stayed not. on. Yes, correct. She was not happy with that situation. Okay, so she devises a plan to get the truth out of Pisanella, inviting her for a drink on the terrace, among the hanging castle gardens. Which are totally around during a famine, Mm -hmm. of course. Okay, Of course, yes. This story makes so much sense. (laughs) It was written by a fascist. Correct. Then one drink turns into several, and the queen is just complimenting the shit out of her. Like, oh my god, you're so pretty, (laughs) and you dance like Shakira. (laughs) And oh, my son just loves you so much. But what did you say your name was again? Pisanella, drunk as shit. Probably from the lack of food, there's a fucking famine. True. She reveals that she is actually Venus, the goddess of love, beauty, desire, and sex. Okay. That one. That's how she that got goddess. to the shore. She washed up on like that uh, that little conch the shell. The clam shell. The clam shell. Which, Thank you. I don't know what happened to the clam shell. Right. Nobody seemed to have spotted that. <laughs> okay. It's true. Horrified, the queen pushes Pisanella down onto a terrace below and she snaps her fingers. Okay. In unison, her servants release a ton of roses onto Pisanella, okay. burying her in petals and perfume okay. until eventually she breathes her last breath filled with the scent of roses. God, God, it's horrible. Okay. It is. Also, roses grow and are subject to famine. True. Also, who has like a, a ton lot of, of roses, roses ready to go? Just saying. Fresh anyway. roses. Okay. All right. Satisfied. The queen smiled to herself, thinking she had just beat a goddess, right? Venus, at her own game and trying to take her crown, her island. But then she remembered that gods and goddesses never die. Oh, yeah. They just keep coming back in different forms. Yeah, she's going to show up with her uh, her clamshell buddies next time. <laughs> oh, my God, with yes. The googly eyes. <laughs> clamshell gang? Yeah, the, the old clamshell pirates. gang. No, they're not pirates. Are no. pirates scary? No. They well, be. they can be if they're ghost pirates. Ooh. Maybe they're Flying ghost- Dutchmen. Yeah. Lots of Morgana. Yeah, 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 yeah. Hey. Flying clamshell ghost pirates. <laughs> with googly eyes. Yes! The googly- yes. All right. I love it. 
So for the rest of her days, the queen lives in paranoia, afraid of Venus's return, burying anyone and anything she suspects in tons and of tons course. of roses. You know, it doesn't sound like they have a drought problem, Steph. It sounds Definitely like not. they have too many roses that they need to make all the time. Oh, 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 oh queen, are we, are, we, are we playing more roses, are we? Are we? Oh, can we, uh, can, can we, can, can we play? Some potatoes, full potato, tomato mashes for my young ones, my beautiful young ones who starve to death, please. No. Just a few. Nope. Just a nope. Just nope. Roses. Only just roses. Just a few. This play inspired the next work we will be discussing today, Death by Perfume, or L'Amour Parfumé, Pencil, Watercolor, Gouache, and Gold Paint on Paper from oh. 1921. What it's really it? hard to get out of that voice when you start it. right. So this work is by a founding member of the, quote, spook school, <gasps> Margaret MacDonald Macintosh. Pro. M cubed. Oh, you're sure. not going to test me. No, I said Macintosh Pro. So oh you didn't God. laugh at my joke, and I, you, I didn't laugh at your joke, so fair. Fair, all right. All right. On. Margaret MacDonald was born in 1864 to a well-off family that made their fortune off mining. Her Glaswegian father, a mining engineer, moved the family to Glasgow, Scotland, when Marge was in her late teens. Mm. At this time, Glasgow was one of the world's wealthiest cities. The British Empire was this global industrial powerhouse, okay? Mm. The relatively new inventions of machinery were producing and transporting raw materials like coal, quickly and efficiently, and Glasgow was the engineering capital. This was all happening at the time of a cultural crossroads, the dying <laughs> days of the Victorian era, which to me, I immediately think of like fancy pale socialites yeah. and big hats and ruffles and corsets, like way too much, right? Super extra. Um, Living in dark, dusty, crusty Victorian houses. No, thank you. There was also a... Lot a- of enclaves. What? A lot of enclaves to dust. Yeah, too much... Dust, they're dust traps. Anyway. So many enclaves. Correct. Encla- you just like saying enclaves. I do, yeah. <laughs> okay. It's probably a little breakfast enclave. Nook? Yeah, you know, an enclave. Okay. So there was all of this progress, but there was also a dense working population living in old, crumbling buildings. There was vast inequality and plenty of diseases. Yeah. De- I mean, death was everywhere. This yeah. this is the atmosphere that inspired novels like Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Oh, really? Yeah. And a lot of cocaine. Okay. All right. Well, luckily, Margaret's family was not too into those Victorian gender roles. She was enrolled in a progressive school that pioneered female education. You know, your standard shit. Foreign language, math, sciences, history, and, of course, art. So she graduates and she's like, okay, I'm not done with my education. How about how about college? Mm. No, you can't attend a basic uni yet, Margaret, because you're a woman. Yeah, right. I mean, they got to install those little silver mailboxes stuff next to the, next to the toilets. <laughs> so that's going to take a few that's what, years. That's what every woman wants to hear. You got you got mail. You got mail. You got mail. It don't you? You got mail. Isn't it? It's mail, isn't it? Oh, it's not. <laughs> it's not mail. It's not mail. What is this? <laughs> Luckily, women were allowed to attend art and design colleges, okay? She had her family's full support. <laughs> okay. So Margaret and her sister, Frances, both enrolled at the Glasgow School of Art at just the right time. The school had a very progressive headmaster who allowed classes to be co-ed. Women could draw guinies. No problem. Finally. Right. Stylistically, there were three different art movements also happening at this time, all of which rejected fussy Victorian design mm. and soulless modern industrialism. Aesthetic, arts and crafts, Art Nouveau, which we don't have time to get into too deeply today. Right, these are all different movements. But essentially, they were all a shift to more simplified, balanced forms with natural motifs inspired by medieval, Celtic, and ukiyo-e designs. They believed art should be a lifestyle, so you can think of handcrafted, well-designed objects, not just your painting and your sculptures. Outside of the school, back in the real world, manufacturers were now looking for designers who could generate... Could draw guinies. ...revenue. <laughs> I mean, I don't know, maybe. Maybe that's a... It's a wallpaper, preferred. fancy wallpaper back then. Okay. All right, so they didn't want for artists. They wanted their products to look as good as they were functional. The Glasgow School of Art caught on to this and taught marketable mediums like ceramics, metalwork, embroidery, interior design, mm. and textiles. 
alongside your typical art classes, which meant many students would, at worst, be able to find jobs, but at best would create innovative art and design that blended expressive and experimental art with the practical. And listeners, this is what art schools are still kind of based on today. So this carried on through the Bauhaus, and it still persists in a good art education today. Righto. Out of the sisters' work, Margaret's was especially weird. She takes her earliest works, these glowing, atmospheric watercolors with translucent layers that feel as alive as the figures inhabiting them, and melds them with a popular, highly decorative Art Nouveau movement. She takes those Art Nouveau bold decorative lines, but for Margaret, they don't behave decoratively. (laughs) They look more like tangled organic wires that are pulsating with LED light, plants, limbs, hair, everything swirls in and out of that glowing atmosphere. And they kind of collect themselves before falling apart and then reassembling into a pattern before falling apart again. She's using the balance between line and negative space that the Ukiyo-e print masters used, but it's not on a clean piece of paper. Right. She's putting it on top of heavily textured surfaces. So I don't know, maybe she likes the wood grain texture in the Ukiyo-e prints too. Maybe that's where she got the idea, it's right? so good. And with the materials she's using, like fabric strips, vellum, glass beads, metal, and thick layers of gesso, it's usually hard to see anything other than the material itself. Mm. If you saw these in person, you'd be like, how is she able to do this? Because her work just becomes so textured that it lifts from the surface. But she's still able to achieve the same atmosphere ghostliness uh, in her early watercolors. (laughs) Eventually, the sisters were introduced to two other unique artist BFFs, Charles Rennie McIntosh and James Herbert McNair, who were attending architecture night classes while the sisters attended the day classes. And while architecture may seem entirely different from what the sisters were making, their cross-discipline education opened their eyes to similarities in each other's works. So naturally, they began collaborating. And occasionally frolicking in, uh, you know, the foggy (laughs) moors, wearing petticoats and giant bow ties, right? Yes. Charles here, the biggest bow tie I've ever seen. So big. It's so big. Why is it so big? He looks like he should be licking a lollipop with a little kid hat on, (laughs) sitting on the the side of the street in black and white, right? But they have their picnic baskets in hand. Okay. They're drinking wine out of skulls, oh. eating jammy sandwiches with the, the, the Loch Nesses. Got a little weird there. Falling in love. They're all falling in oh, love, too. Okay. That's the there other part go. I missed. Makes Sorry. it all okay. Yeah. Perfect. A little triangle situation. Okay. All right. So Charles and Marge were quite the match. Charles was making eccentric, airy, high-back chairs that matched Margaret's elongated linear forms that looked like open-air vignettes. Mm. As the four continued to collaborate, they started to think in terms of total design. Not just a picture that you would decorate your walls with, but also total. the walls themselves, yeah, right? Total. The molding, the light fixtures, the furniture. Everything. You get the idea. The dust. The dust has to be very specific. None of this Victorian <laughs> dusk. This is Art Nouveau dusk, okay? okay all right. It's whimsical. So they it's were whimsical. Oh, yes. Whimsical dust. Absolutely. Sorry. You I don't know get, where that came from. I, I don't know. All right. So <laughs> yell at me. Okay. Uh, <laughs> So through all this, they're mixing everything that they learned from the Glasgow School of Art, becoming known as the Glasgow Four. Okay. Or maybe less prestigiously as the Spook School. Are you okay? Yeah, you scared me. Spooky. Oh, okay. Tuberculosis was tearing up Europe at this time, and symptoms included delicate, transparent skin, fine, silky hair, sparkling or dilated eyes, Mm. rosy cheeks and red lips, which we now know are symptoms of a low-grade fever in tuberculosis. Or if you're turning into an anime character. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay, so when the public saw the Glasgow 4's work, they didn't know what to make of them. Yeah, their weird palette, they got big bow ties that look like anime characters. Uh, they don't know. Their palette was used to the standard academic style of realistic paintings mm. with healthy, glowing people, right. right? Not with figures that might resemble TB patients. The interior design and the architecture often had like a Tim Burton esque vibe to them. Okay. It was just too spooky. Too for spooky. Them. Too spooky. All right. They felt so strongly about this that they dubbed the four the Spook School. Okay. Eventually, the Spook School 4 paired off, got married, moved away, and drifted apart. And it wasn't long until Margaret and Charles' career really took off. They became a power art and design couple. Catering to those who who didn't mind the spooky stuff. They they actively sought out the spooky. Le spooky. Yeah, they were the, the, the spooky seekers, they oh, called yes. them, right? Love it. Yes. So word of their amazing architecture and interior spread. Like, like tuberculosis. <laughs> I guess. 
And in 1900, they were invited to exhibit at the Vienna Secession, which was held by a group of artists who were also rebelling against the academic style of their day. Mm. One of the prominent members being Gustav Klimt. Who was not yet the uh, the Gustav Klimt that you know from your college girlfriend's dorm room. Okay, <laughs> right. because he hadn't seen Margaret's work yet. Yeah. Her heavy use of materials and the, the ghostly long figures that almost blend into her uh, aerial root lines really mm. changed him, right? So what Klimt is best known for, figures lost in a fog of patterning, mm. happens after the show. His work really changes after 1900. And while Charles consistently praised Margaret's work and her collaboration with him in every aspect of their career, saying, quote, Margaret has genius. I only have talent. Charles is still the one who received the fame for many of yeah. their collaborations. I mean, I think they're probably too mesmerized by his big, beautiful bow tie, right? <laughs> it wasn't sexism. It was possessing Yeah, it was everybody. his bow tie, right? Yeah, I'm a, a little in love with Charles because of the bow tie. <laughs> What, not the mustache? Uh, it, it helps. It maybe helps it was, frame it his mustache. To, to, maybe it was there to dab the stash. Dab the stash. Okay. Dab the stash. Yeah. Charles deserved the fame. Sure. But so does Margaret. Absolutely. So about a decade after the Vienna Secession exhibition, Margaret's own output dramatically decreased as she and Charles were dealing with multiple architectural projects. But over time, taste began to change. And with the onset of World War One, you know, the one that ruined like, yeah. everyone's lives, their careers never really gained a lasting momentum. Mm. After moving around Europe, hoping to have more commission work, they may have felt kind of snake bitten as both she and Charles's health started to fail and the job opportunities dried up. Despite this, they both continued to make work, both turning to less intensive, less expensive watercolors in their later careers. Margaret's work in particular took a much darker turn in composition, color, and content. She might have felt a little bit like Pisanella, right? A beautiful goddess who was crushed by a brutal world that was just not ready to accept her. Yeah, yeah. It wouldn't accept her that Ramon's would never haircut. Her. What? Huh? She, she does Ramon's not have a... Ra- no. She does. she does not have Johnny Ramon. Johnny Ramon? Johnny Ramon. The bad one. The bad Ramon. All right, so let's get into the perfume death, one of Margaret's darkest, eeriest, most mysterious works. Margaret wasn't as prolific in her later years. She just had too much going on, Mm -hmm. from what it sounds like. But the works that she did make are impressive, to say the least. They are a big departure from her earlier, more Art Nouveau-ish work. And I say Art Nouveau-ish um, because <laughs> I don't I don't think her work fits cleanly within the atypical Art Nouveau either. Right. They're a great example of her continuing to do what she'd been doing since her school of art days. Mm-hmm. Look at other art, take some influence there, some, some influence over here, and put it all together in something wholly unique. Yeah. You still see the rhythmic lines, dips, curves, negative spaces that you always find in her work. But here... Here, they look chunkier. They look like symbolic characters, but also they're illustrating a specific story. Right. So if it if it wasn't clear, this this is a depiction of the moment that Pisanella is murdered by being suffocated in tons <laughs> and tons of roses. It is a work on paper, so Margaret probably drew with pencil first and then used watercolor and gouache, adding gold paint last. Using these materials, she's woven as a tapestry with color pigment, which, although abstract, really creates movement in the work. Woven's a great term for this, right? It looks like she painted multiple versions of this and then made a complicated collage out of the best cutout bits, you know? Right, and it seems like the lights are dimming and we are all about to be enveloped in darkness as if we were watching this play out on a stage. Hmm. Our eyes eyes are immediately drawn to the pile of flowers and we see a pale woman, the Queen of Cyprus, as she seemingly rises above them. The flowers are the brightest part of the composition. They contrast all these different hues and shapes of black in the background. And strangely enough, they have the same stamped-like effect of the ornate plates in Akiku's worm bod. This is where Margaret would have used that gold paint to bling up the queen. We can tell the queen is a person of power. Total queen vibes. <laughs> She's all bedecked in very expensive-looking metal jewelry and she's got a headpiece on and she's she's evil. She's an evil bay. She <laughs> Yeah. I mean she's smiling to herself in in such a sinister manner. Yeah, I honestly can't 
believe I just said Bay. Uh, she also has two <laughs> that's wispy. Scary. <laughs> that's scary. That's scary. She also has two little wispy hands that are elegantly dropping roses on on Pisanella. You're right. I just noticed that. Yeah, it's kind of hidden it, in there, right? It took me a while. There's there's actually so much detail in in this work. Well, and just like her other work, details get lost in a wave yeah. of fog. It's totally intentional. You see these moments of clarity, but other parts are obscured, and you're not sure what's happening. Mm-hmm. So you just see these flashes of color, and your your mind tries to put together what's happening. Well, and part of that is that there is no traditional perspective here. The queen rises above these servants that are depicted as shapes, basically combinations of frontal and profile views, which also flattens them. Yeah, these are these are sassy servants. All right, <laughs> they remind me of uh, Egyptian hieroglyphs. Kind of, they have yes. no identity. Yes. They have long hair covering everything but the nasty side eye. If you look up the Rosetta <laughs> yeah. Stone, right, it says this translates to sassy servant side eye. That's really hard to say. So the servants are rising above from some nether world like the great wave Um, and there are these patterned rose conveyor belts that shoot from the right side of the painting (gasps) connecting to each servant oh my god so you have like two gestures for two different movements meeting and the result is like that the downpour of the deadly roses right in that downpour of colorful murderous roses we notice a floating face in the black abyss below the flowers Mm, who is it bizanella Chepizanella. Pizanella is reduced to a white mask-like face in a pool of black, which hella reminds me of Bearded Away. Oh, totally, totally. No face vibes. Eh, eh. <laughs> <laughs> I actually see the painting Ophelia. Oh, I, yes. I don't remember who that's by. It's um the Everett Milius painting. Listeners. Okay, okay. Ophelia drowns herself because it's Shakespeare. And Shakespeare. in the painting, she floats in this lake with some colorful flowers. It's one of my favorite paintings. It's it's gorgeous. It's a gorgeous painting. It's also an Animal Crossing. Yeah, true. Uh, Pisanella <laughs> is floating in this black pool, like you said, but the pool is contained by this curving line that's all, it actually mirrors the reflection of the sassy servant side eye wave. Which is oh, really hard to it's say. echoed there. Yeah. <laughs> sassy servant side eye wave and it creates this beautiful domino effect it's cyclical like this goddess is going to come back probably with uh, the sentient clamshell gang okay <laughs> aside from Margaret depicting Pisanella's death she also seems to really be referencing Egyptian history yeah. art and hieroglyphs perfume was very important in ancient Egyptian culture. Sure. Pharaohs would be buried with perfume. Love it. Dead pharaohs love the perfume. But oops. <laughs> oops, Stephanie. What? Oops, I see cubism. Oops. Yeah. <laughs> Look, that's right. It, it's not a cubist painting. Never associated with cubism, but it would be so hard to ignore the cubist movement that she certainly would have ran into uh-huh. at some point, right? And honestly, other artists like Sonia Delaney Turk, who had a background in textiles just like Margaret, hmm. also felt liberated by cubism and got to be more bold with how how she used geometric shapes because of it. So I don't think it's a stretch that cubism influenced this a little bit. I have to agree with you. I mean, she was looking at all kinds of art. Yeah. Margaret actually would often get asked where her inspiration came from. And she'd basically be like, mm, no comment. <laughs> <laughs> well, and she also, she did not keep a sketchbook. So we actually don't really have any confirmation on her influences, but but that's fine. It's yeah, really fine. it doesn't matter, right? Her, her work speaks for itself. She, she kept it in the old thinking dome. We want trails. We want paper trails. We want Receipts. No, we don't need it. We don't need it. We're That's looking true. at we're we looking at the it. receipts right here. I know. Well, Perfume Death was one, if not the last work that she made. And we like this especially because it's so different than the work that she's actually known for, which is gorgeous. But this one is just so unique overall. I Some of her work I really struggle with because mm-hmm. it does have that decorative flair, that like <laughs> Michael's craft store oh, flair. No, you know? no. But, I mean, she, it's much better than that. But of it, course, there are signifiers of <laughs> Michael craft crafts. Like, yeah. yeah like, Do you get that sense? of like artificial yeah, flowers. Yeah, exactly, exactly. I know what you're talking exactly. about. Okay. Basically everything from the last like 10 years of her making work is, is incredibly complex and, and beautiful. Agreed. This is a tragic play because it doesn't end well for the protagonist and Margaret has chosen to depict the climax of the story where Pisanella is dead. I think she was trying to express some personal emotion here. Aside from feeling snake bitten, her sister Frances died suddenly that same year at only oh, 48. Wow. And they were super close, right? There's actually another work of Margaret's called The Legend of the Blackthorns from the same year. Blackthorns are known as a flower of mourning. There are two figures in this work that look like Pisanella that are actually thought to be a portrait of Margaret and Francis. So she was grieving. She was probably heartbroken and lonely at this time. She may have felt like Pisanella, but I think that she will be like Venus and live on forever through her many works of art. 
Margaret died in 1933 after having exhibited in more than 40 European and American oh exhibitions during her life. Um, okay, uh, Steph. The, yeah, uh, what? What? Uh, the, the particularly menacing looking poster. Oh my God. Back. Okay. Uh, so while we've been talking, uh, it looks like they pushed some chairs oh, no. over and oh, now they no. are just within arm's reach. Oh, I mean, I, they don't have arms, oh, but, but oh, if they God. had arms, they would be within arm's reach of the switch. So th- that could easily incinerate perfume death to power the inflatable Christmas okay. village uh, the Pantrymons ha- have installed on the front lawn of the Arts Ice Museum, which honestly, Steph, it's just so tacky. You know what I'm talking about. Like, right. I could see it if it was if there was Take like a whole sea of those vintage blow mold Santas. Take I it down. I actually really like that. Like, if there was a Take little... Take it! Take it! What? Oh, sorry. Take it! What do I put in its place? Take take this Mugre. Take this Damien Hirst spot painting. The, oh, of course, the Damien Hirst spot painting. Of course. Yeah. Let me put it up. Well, Spookephany, we spent all this time and money on the music, Mm -hmm. decorations. We had to track down Brian Knotts, who designed our Art Slice Pizza Mm -hmm. Box, and whose work can be found at brianknotts.com to be the announcer for the episode. But thank you, Brian. Thank you, Brian. Yeah, it's really going to be a miracle if you're able to edit this all together by December 25th. Yeah, you know, I wouldn't bet on it, but I'll try my best. You know what, though? What? You know what? You have to admit it. It all made the Pantramons really happy. I mean... Satan's Village, it act, it looks pretty nice. It's, it's pretty cute. Yeah, now that the fire is contained. Yeah, the yeah. fire was an issue. But, you know, Santa <laughs> looks good with all those devil horns. Uh, they're not in exactly the right places, <laughs> but they don't know any better. The music, though. The music is is pretty disconcerting. I guess, I guess, Spookephany, I just wish the demon reindeer could have made it here. Yeah. To see all this. Oh, Russell, don't don't look now, but... Don't look at what? The, that particularly menacing-looking Pantrimon is shuffling towards us. Don't look. Don't look. Demon reindeer, you made it! I was here the whole time. Well, actually, I I was a little late. I I got caught up straining my my kefir grains. You you drink kefir? Of course, you know stress from flying around, reaping day in, day out, only. Only eating takeout food really doesn't hold up. Really doesn't number on the old good bacteria. Okay. No. That, no. Okay. I. I, I just. Okay. I just think we're surprised. Yeah. Honestly, I thought you drink the organs of the damned or something. Well, I, don't, I don't know. Well, well, yeah. Well, yeah. That's that, that's what takeout food is. You, you take out the organs and uh, you, you grind okay. them into um, a Okay. All right. And, yeah. Uh. uh hmm. But, but anyway, 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 I just, uh, I just, uh, well, I wanted to make sure that you were keeping the Satan, if not Santa, spirit alive, you know, for, for the right reasons. Not just because, and not just because you were afraid that I would, uh, Oh, I don't know, feed your mortal bodies to a, a giant bird or something. Uh, no, of, of course not. I mean, the no, bo- why would we think that? The bosch bird is real? Oh, yeah, no, he's a, he's a great guy. <laughs> but, but anyway, 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 I just, uh, I guess, I guess I've really, well, I'll just say it, I've, re- I've really come to think of you as friends. Aww. That's really sweet, Demon Reindeer. Yeah. Uh, you know, you are, you're great. I mean, we really looked forward to throwing this for we you. Did. Well, I, got, well I, I should get going, though. I, I gotta lead my guided meditation session back at the Demon Reindeer Lodge. Bye, Demon Reindeer. Bye, Demon Reindeer. Bye. Bye. <laughs>